great scientist, Professor Frankenstein, when his monster moved for the first time, without knowing it, he spoke of the absolute distinction between the artificial brain and the human brain, when he said, it's alive. It's alive, it's alive, it's alive. You're listening to Canary Cry Radio. Now here are your hosts, Basil and Gaunts. Hey there, Canaries. You're listening to Canary Cry Radio. My name's Basil. And this is Gons. This is episode number 55. 55. And we are going to talk to the one and only Mr. Tom Horn today. I know. You're, you're all so excited, as are we. He's a hard guy to uh, pin down here, but we did it. We got him for one hour this morning. So make sure you stick around and uh, just absorb everything he has to say. This is going to be an exciting one. Yes. Um, but before we get into that, I've got a couple of emails. We got some voice messages. And before that, I'm going to let everybody know. Make sure to go to iTunes and leave us a review. Five stars. Five stars. Let us, you know, tell everybody why we're so awesome. And uh, it helps people discover the show. The more the more reviews the we more have, important. yeah, the more people will discover right. our show. So, yeah. Right. Okay, and then um, make sure to go to canarycryradio.com. We got show notes there. We've got the episodes you can stream straight from the internet. It's crazy technology. And so, yeah, make sure to do all those things. Absolutely. Also, you can email us at canarycryradio at gmail.com or you can visit the tab on the website that says contact and you can contact us through that as well. Do it. Do it. Go, go, go. <laughs> awesome. All right. Uh, what are we getting into here? Um, I don't know. Emails and voice messages? Yeah, emails and voice messages. Right. Let's do it. Do it. Last um, episode, we asked you guys if you could time travel into any time in the Bible and experience something, what would that be? You guys responded. We are here to um, share your answers to the rest of the world so we can either agree or not agree. Is that that cricket just gets louder every time? It's it's really, it just wants to be heard. I know. Hold on one second. All right, here we go. And he's off. And the broomstick. And we should expect to hear a little whacking noise. Okay. That was quite humane. It wasn't like last time where you uh, went after him. Well, I was using a towel this time, not a broom. Okay. Because I was trying to do a play-by-play, but uh, right, pretty pretty big letdown. Yeah, well, you know, I don't live my life to entertain you, Gons. No, that's too bad. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's unfortunate. Yeah. Okay, where were we? We had the answers to the time travel questions. Yes. Time travel is now real, and you have been saving up your entire life to time travel back somewhere. Where in the Bible would you go to do it? Um, we have a listener named Brian who, you know, he, he had a lot of answers. Yeah, he did. And he, You know, I, I thought I was pretty specific when I said you could only choose one. But, <laughs> you know, well, <laughs> Brian, well, a couple of years, he had some good ones, though. Garden of Eden, that would be the the ideal vacation spot, I think. Yeah, 
definitely take a, take a little trip back to the garden. He has the fall on there, which would be a little bit less of a uh, paradise. He has the Enoch era. What what do you think he means exactly, Gons? Uh, probably the prophet Enoch, not the son of Cain. Uh, uh, you know, doing his things, but you know, right. he wasn't specific, so who knows? Maybe he wanted to um, check out the dark side. Mm. Well, he has the flood there. Yeah, he, I guess Brian likes swimming, uh, <laughs> or, or drowning, <laughs> right? Or or not swimming. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay, and what else does he have? He here? said uh, the whole life of Jesus, which is yeah. uh, you know, yeah, that would be a time travel experience itself. And yeah. um, well, Brian, I will say you you have very ambitious time traveling uh, desires. But your uh, your your question comprehension could use uh, a little bit oh, of a tune. Oh, go easy on him. Come on. <laughs> Brian, you know I'm just kidding. Okay, hold on. Got to take a, a, a cricket smashing break. Here we go. This is what we were waiting for. There it is. Everything. Okay. You sounded you sounded distressed there. I he just doesn't understand. Um our listener William says raising Lazarus. Yeah, that's a good one. That was a good one. See Lazarus I'm raised sure that from the was dead. uh pretty emotional to no, see yeah, you know, that's, your uh, that's buddy some serious serious business. Um Rhonda said when Jesus was a child, just a wee lad. Yeah, that's that's good because you know uh, Rhonda explained how you know she sort of gave herself an exception. She said, "Does it have to be written in the Bible, or can it be something else?" Because right. there's not a whole lot written about Jesus's childhood. Right. So that would be an interesting thing to see. I'll give, I'll give that one to her. I'll give that to her. Yeah. Um, Joe says Paul's ministry. You wanted to see what the affliction was that right. Paul had. Right. That that's a that's a that's a big question. I mean, it's just a piece of trivia that would have been um nice to know and I, I know there's a lot of a lot of ideas about that yeah what do you think it was uh, uh he says it's something on his side i don't know it's something yeah. a piece of flesh hanging out or something I, I have no idea maybe it was like a conjoined twin <laughs> like a so paul was a siamese twin and yeah maybe like yeah something like that um doug says hang with daniel yeah, that's a yeah. good one. That's a really good yeah. one. Because uh, so well. he was talking about how, you know, he was one of the leaders in Babylon. And at the same time, he was able to hold on to his faith in God, Yahweh. And so, you know, it would be a good example to us today, especially, you know, in the uh, rising occultish sort of things that are going on in our country. And right. how do you live as someone in the world and not? Yeah. Of the world. So it'd be a relevant lesson for everyone. Yes. There you go. Well, what did Tech Centric say? Um, he wanted to check out when Jesus he, he had another list. Uh, he he broke the rules as well. You people in your lists. <laughs> people <laughs> and, love lists today. And, and you know, he, he mentioned like seven things, but we only we only put down a couple here. But okay. he said when Jesus ascended into heaven because I want to see a dude fly. And then again, uh, when Enoch was translated because he wants to see a dude fly. So (laughs) he's really into, 
I like the situation here, Techcentric. We have, we have you, you're time traveling. You are traversing time and space in a time traveling machine, and you're doing that magical feat of science and technology to go back and watch somebody fly. That's pretty awesome. It is. I, I mean, I'm that. I know. I mean, I'm just saying it's a, it's a funny, uh, you know. I'm sure a flying guy would love to see somebody time travel. Yeah. You know? True. So. Well, we, uh, we also got a voice message, which we'll get into in a second, but uh, specifically pertaining to the question that we asked from our good friend from the Iron Show. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a... Uh, uh, Johnny Iron. That's for you, Johnny. That's for you, Johnny. So All right. let's check out what Johnny had to say. Okay. Hey, it's your boy Johnny from the Iron Show. Ironshow.com, baby. Hey, uh, you guys were talking about moments in Bible history that people would like to go back to. I would like to go back to the Elijah contest between uh, God and Baal, where um, he sets up this big sacrifice, this big pile of uh, wood and puts a sacrifice on it. And whoever's the true God, that's who's going to burn up the sacrifice. And so he's like, taunting the priests of Baal, saying, hey, where's Baal? Call him down. Have him burn the sacrifice up. And they're all slashing themselves and bleeding all over the place. And he's he's messing with them. He's like, "Where where's Baal? Is he, t- is he in the bathroom taking a pee or whatever? And then they're all slashing themselves. And finally, he, he calls uh, for his helpers to uh, soak the pile of wood with water three times. Then he calls fire down from heaven, and God just uh, burns up, totally consumed the sacrifice and the wood and it says the fi- the fire was uh, uh, lapping up the, the water uh, like a dog and it was, I'd like to see that that would have been cool and then uh, you know Elijah must have been like Conan because right afterwards he goes and he kills all like what 500 million priests of Baal one at a time so anyway what's up what's up <laughs> What's up? Yeah. Well, I would expect no less. That sounds like a a very exciting time traveling story. You could come back and tell people about that. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I would agree. Yeah, yeah and, and that whole thing is pretty interesting too, the whole Elijah experience. Right. Because um, you know, the verses I'm looking at for Age of Deceit two, which a lot of it has to do with Revelation thirteen, um, the false prophet calls fire down from heaven and it sounds a lot like what elijah did back in those chapters and i think it's second Kings. so maybe it's uh you know looking into the past but also looking into the future whoa time travel stuff is crazy right yeah. yep you know yeah. what i saw a sh- <laughs> i saw <laughs> i saw a shirt the other day it uh-huh. was um a silhouette of Bill and Ted in front of the TARDIS. Uh, what is the TARDIS? The, oh, you just disappointed like half our audience, dude. <laughs> the TARDIS. Oh, the TARDIS. Yeah. I'm sorry. I thought, I thought you said the, the hard, 
TARDIS. Okay, so okay, so there's a silhouette of Bill and Ted looking at the TARDIS, kind okay. of like confused, and then below it is a picture of the Doctor looking at this phone booth time travel thing from Bill and Ted's with a little antenna on top. And, right. he, and he looks confused. And I thought it was a pretty funny picture. But uh, I don't know what that has to do with anything. Oh, that, it has to do uh, with Time Machine. It does have to do with Time Machines. No, that's interesting. Yeah, it was okay. a, it was a funny little it. thing. I, I want to get that shirt just because. Cute. It's a great shirt to wear to like start a conversation about time travel. Yeah. You know, like, well, people, what's that shirt? Yeah. Ugh, the TARDIS. Ugh, what's the TARDIS? What do you mean, what's the TARDIS? I thought you said hardis. I thought you said hardis. <laughs> oh, gosh. Okay. okay. All right, let's move on. All right. Thanks, Johnny, for that message. Thanks, Johnny. Johnny Iron, The Iron Show. So we got a couple other voicemails here, too. Yeah, just, we do. Uh, just here or there from some, from some listeners, and here we go. This first one is from Mr. Tony. Hey guys, I just listened to your debunking um, in the title, Who are the Sons of God in Genesis 6? I thought you did an absolutely great job. Um, I've never heard anybody put it any plainer. Um, Kudos, man. Great job. Some great stuff. Keep up the great work. All right. Well, thank you, Mr. Tony. What video exactly is he talking about, Gons? Well, a couple weeks ago, I put out a video called Who Are the Sons of God in Genesis 6? The Sethite View Debunked. Uh, It's about a half-hour video that lays out some of the arguments against the Sethite view. And uh, I don't use Enoch or Jasher or any of those extra biblical texts. I just use the Bible to support my case. So you can check that out. Just go to uh, YouTube and type in who are the sons of God in Genesis 6 or type in the Sethite view debunked and you'll find that there. And um, yeah, something interesting. There was a fellow in there who posted a comment who said that he believes that uh, Julian, the apostate, actually got this idea of the sons of Seth from a document called the Book of Adam and Eve which is uh, one of those, um, or I guess Augustine got his source for the set that view from the book of Adam and Eve, which was another one of those, you know, ancient, you know, non-biblical texts that has resurfaced recently. So, you know, just some interesting stuff there, some good conversation and whatnot. So check that out if you want to do that. Where can we find it? Uh, YouTube. Just go to YouTube and type in set that view debunked and you will find the video. Boom. Go do it. Check it out. I hear it's fantastic. Tony likes it. Yep. Um, all right. We have another one from Miss April. Hi, guys. Um, my name is April. I just wanted some prayer requests from all your listeners out there. My husband has been listening to the Galactic Federation of Light now for over a year, and he's pretty convinced that they are the coming saviors, the, the people that go on their channel, uh, so-called Ascended Masters. 
anyway, I believe this is part of the great deception that's coming on us, and sadly, it's part of my household, and so, um, yeah, I just need prayers to um, protect us, my daughters and I, and my husband means well, uh, however, it's, it's, not, it's not a good thing. We used to agree on the Bible, and sadly, he now believes that the Bible is false, so... Um, yeah, please pray for us. Thank you. There we go. So calling all Canary Cry listeners for your uh, prayer time coming up here. Pray for April and her family and um, about the Galactic Federation of Light and that whole nonsense sort of invading their space there. Um, and for those of you who aren't aware of what the Galactic Federation of Light is, it is a very funny thing. The Galactic Federation of Light is an alleged body of power in the Milky Way galaxy. It's said to be governed by our, the Pleiadians. 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 <laughs> Pleiadians or Pleiadians? The, the aliens from Pleiades. There you go. Right, who are allegedly related to humans. Uh, the Federation is made up of enlightened races of beings from all over the galaxy and who are supposedly in conflict with the greys over Earth and uh, dealings with humans. Right, so yes, definitely uh, pray for April and her family and her husband to um, you know come back around. It sounds like he had um, agreed about the Bible prior and then went off. And uh, I find it interesting that you believe in the Bible and then you give up the Bible for the Galactic Federation of Light. You know, that's unusual. It's more usually folks who come out of the New Age that come, you know, into the biblical worldview. Or, you know, if they leave the biblical worldview, it's usually, you know, atheism or, or something a little more, I guess, mundane, you can call it. But uh, there's a few things, and I'm sure, April, you have done your homework and, um, you know, looked into some of these the issues here. But the first thing to really point out is that no one really knows who these guys, the Galactic Federation of Light, no one really knows who they are. It's all, you know, coming from channeled material. So, right, it's all, it's all psychics and things, right. channeling beings. Right. So, you know, the first thing you got to really think about is have these people who are channeling these spirits, have they used the protocol, the biblical protocol that you find in 1 John 4, which is test the spirits. Like, hey what about Jesus? Right. And if they're not preaching the same Jesus, then red flag, you know, something right. should, something, something tells me that they, they aren't doing that. Yeah, probably not. Um, okay. the other thing is one of the big, uh, components of the whole galactic federation of light is the Ashtar command. And, uh, of course that sounds a lot like a, an entity that is mentioned, uh, a few times in the Bible, one example is in First Kings eleven five, where it says uh, Solomon worshipped Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians. So it's like this false deity that right. uh, yeah, and and Ashtara also is correlated with Ishtar and exactly and and the, all sorts of bad things that have sort of um, revolved around that. Right, and then lastly, um, you know, we don't want to spend too much time on this, but, you know, we feel it's important enough to mention this, uh, you know, most of the time, and, you know, this is actually a great comparison with the whole Johnny Iron, the whole uh, Prophets of Baal thing, right? Because what had happened was with the whole Prophets of Baal, as Johnny mentioned, 
you know, there was a little competition between Yahweh's people and the people that supported Baal, and Baal didn't show up, right? He was, you know, going to the bathroom or whatever. So for some reason, those, uh, you know, alleged demonic spirits, they have a tendency to sort of uh, make promises and not be able to fulfill it. Well, a psychic named Blossom Goodchild back in 2008, I believe it was October 14th of 2008, um, or actually she channeled uh, the Galactic Federation of Light and claimed that on October 14th of 2008, there would be massive uh, spaceships over Earth. And, you know, the whole, you, you know, what we <laughs> have come to, you know, label the Great Deception, you know, the day the... The, the alien spaceships are, you know, over the major cities and all this stuff. And, um, you know, she promised that it would happen. And, of course, it didn't. So, again, that should be a pretty big red flag as to what this kind of uh, stuff is and who's behind it. And it's probably not of God. It's probably those principalities and powers and those evil cosmic forces that are trying to deceive us. So, um, yeah. Galactic Federation of Light, Libra Bloop. <laughs> yes. Okay, so there you go. The, the point of all this is to say, keep April and her husband and her family in your prayers. This is a time for the uh, Canary Cry Radio community to come around and um, really uh, do some some good here. And, uh, yeah, keep us informed. Absolutely. April, with how that's going. Yeah, start praying, okay. you canaries. You, you, you little birdies. <laughs> All right. Um, okay, so let's do some emails, just some real quick ones. We got two emails today. One is from a Mr. Wayne. He says, guys, I just discovered your show after a decade of wishing for a Christian version of Coast to Coast AM and a year of listening to old Future Quake shows. Uh, through which I discovered Russ Dizdar, Chris White, Dr. Tom Horn, the Gilberts, and others. I really love your guest lineup and have begun watching Age of Deceit. I'm a pastor of a church just outside of Detroit, Michigan, and I love what you are doing. Thanking the Lord for your ministry, praying for you in Christ, Wayne. Thank you, Wayne, for yeah, your prayers. Thanks, Wayne. And, and Wayne, um, Wayne, you should try to connect with Pastor Jim Wilhelmson because I believe he is also in Michigan. I don't know how close he is to Detroit, but... Uh, Right. Yeah, and I guess Michigan's kind of a big state, but yeah, look for uh, Jim Wilhelmson. You guys can, you know, have some coffee Ooh. and talk about Hollow Earth and stuff. Maybe find his email on the internets. Yes. Okay, we got another email from Tammy. Right. What does Tammy say? Tammy said, "I am just catching up on the pad podcast podcast." <laughs> The podcast. Oh boy. Uh, I'm just catching up on the podcasts and listen to the episode 49 on blood. I am a hunter where you candidly shared your vision about taking your ministry full time. I only found Canary Cry in May of this year. And for the first time, I feel like I am among kindred spirits. Yeah. I grew up in a fundamental Baptist church and home, but as a result of some personal experiences, I couldn't find out how my truth jived with the Bible truth. Because speaking of the paranormal was taboo and no one ever explored those confusing parts of the Bible, I struggled with doubt. I sought Zachariah Sitchin, Bud Hopkins, and Art Bell for answers. Those explanations didn't sit well with me either because deep inside I still believed the God of my childhood was real. It is all making sense now and thanks to you guys and your amazing guests. 
Thanks for giving me answers that have restored my faith. I subscribed with a small monthly gift to help make sure you are able to continue this important work. Well, Tammy. Tammy. Thank Thanks, you. Tammy. No, and that's the kind of story that we're all about here. There's there's a lot of listeners out there just like Tammy, and I know a lot of you out there were, were resonating with her story, and, um, you know, that just makes us feel so warm and fuzzy inside and outside for me. Absolutely. It's a, sort of a full body experience, but um, that's wonderful. And, and hearing that, talking about this stuff and, and, and making a little bit of sense out of it and making sure God is in the picture and um, realizing the truth about all of this is really, uh, really bringing people together here. So thank Absolutely. you, Tammy. And thank you for your small monthly gift that is very generous of you. Yes. Tom, this is Gons from Canary Cry Radio. Don? Hey, Tom. This is Basil. Good to talk to you. How's Good to talk to you, man. Uh, thanks for making time to uh, talk to us. I know you're very busy, but uh, uh, we really appreciate it because uh, you know we've been trying to get you on for a while, and uh, you're a busy man. Hard to get a yeah. hold of. You know, I know that. I, it's crazy. I, I actually moved to the Bible Belt so I could retire, and I've never been so busy in my whole life, especially this year. I've just been hardly in my home office at all. Wow. <laughs> Isn't that how it goes? Yeah, that's how it goes. And actually, I'm leaving again here in the next day or two, and I'll be gone for six more weeks on the road. Right, right. And that's why we wanted to <laughs> try to get a, a an hour in with you before you uh, went on the road again. So... Tom Horn is the author of several books, including Nephilim Stargates, The Armon Gate, Apollyon Rising 2012, Forbidden Gates, Petros Romanos, The Final Pope is Here, Exo Vaticana, and most recently Zenith 2016. He's also recently, uh, or is about to put out a documentary called Inhuman, talking about the transhumanist topic. And he's uh, run several websites, most notably RaidersNewsUpdate.com. And um, you should check that out if you haven't. There's a lot of articles and different things going on. Tom, how you doing? I'm great. Great to be with you guys. Thank you. Awesome. Uh, Tom Horn. So let's uh, let's jump in. Um, can you, for the audience that may not have heard of your work, which I'm sure is not too many, but uh, can you give us briefly uh, how you got to where you are today, your your walk with Christ, and what led you to do the work you do now? Yeah, well, I was actually a pastor uh, for about 25 years, and then I also served as an executive at the state level in the largest evangelical institution in the world for about eight years. And uh, what happened was some years ago I decided that I was going to retire, uh, start a publishing company, and uh, we sold out everything on the West Coast where we lived, moved to the Bible Belt, and got Set up here and started publishing not just my books, but other people's books, and one thing led to the other. One of the things that I wanted to do when I stopped pastoring, and at that time the internet was a brand new thing, and it, was, it wasn't even all that much on the internet, uh, but I, w- I saw it as the future, uh, which turned out to be correct, right? And uh, some of the early Christian influences 
on the internet were extensions of some of the well-known magazines like Charisma and Christianity Today. And most of the material that they were putting on the internet, you know, was real mainstream kind of stuff, how to, how to live a Christian life, how to have a successful Christian marriage, uh, all of which is really very important. Uh, but I had an interest in talking about what nobody else would, but from a solid evangelical point of view. And so I launched the Raiders News Update, and, you know, that, as they say, that was that. We were off and running. And ever since then, we've been talking about the kind of stuff other people avoid or, or don't want to take time to talk about in the Christian community. And that could be anything from aliens to transhumanism, which you moment ago, mentioned a moment ago, to this brand new book, Zenith 2016, where we're talking about influences of the early Freemasons and really what they were designing this country to become, which was the fulfillment of an occultic dream. But we're talking about that right now. Uh, you know, we have a book coming up before too long called Beast Tech, where Terry Cook, the former police detective, and I uh, discovered that there is a plan for 2017. A little early to talk about that, uh, but this is what we do. We just try to find everything that really hardly any of the other Christian, Christian community is talking about, and then that's what we talk about. Right. Amen. Well, that's good. That's what we like here on Canary Cry Radio. Now, speaking of... of uh podcast here we we heard an interview with you and steve quayle on another recently and uh, you discussed various issues concerning our times um but you mentioned in that episode that you had a little dhs incident they came to your door and there's a helicopter circling around or something can you give a little explanation of what you're up to there mister <laughs> an explanation of what i'm up to well <laughs> Uh, it, it, it really, it had to, yeah, it was visited by the Department of Homeland Security about a week and a half ago, probably now. And, uh, they came to the door, badges out, that whole thing. And it, it they, first they wanted to talk to me about, um, a business transaction that I can't discuss because I'm trying to protect the other person's identity and not make that person a news headline. Uh, but this is a person that lives in another country, and we conducted a business transaction that, for some reason, as a result of either him or his connections over there, it threw up a red flag. And that was why the DHS had uh, visited me, and they wanted to talk about that business transaction and what we can and cannot ship to other countries and things like that. But then it mm -hmm. kind of led to something else in that, they started uh, asking if we would be willing to let them know if unusual orders are made through my online store, SurvivorMall.com. In other words, you know, if, if a group or, or a person suddenly wants to order, you know, like a thousand gas masks or they want to order, you know, cases of potassium iodide, that sort of thing, they wanted to know if we'd be willing to let them know and, of course, that made me feel that they suspect that something uh, might be up, maybe some kind of an attack is forming or something like that. I, I just thought that that was kind of where it was coming from. But then, interestingly, the next day, there was the regular white Cessna DHS-marked uh, um, airplane that was circling my property over and over and over and over. So I drove out and drove out and parked in the middle of the field and just looked up at them, and they kept flying by me and buzzing me. <laughs> um, so I, I don't know. Beyond that, I don't know what that was about. Uh, but it mostly it just made me suspicious that they think 
There could be right. foreign operatives that are trying somehow to make inroads through legitimate businesses into this country. Um, so that was that's really all about I know, uh, all I know about it. Right, and we do know that they're they've been uh, you know they're pretty outwardly keeping an eye on uh, evangelical Christians and those with that sort of history in the first place because apparently those are the the new most dangerous uh, American people here. But um, that's very interesting. You know, I heard that and I was like, ah, you know, I want to hear him talk about that again. So yeah, I mean, it could have been something like that. It could have been just the, because I talk about a lot of stuff on the uh, you know on radio. And uh, on our website, it could have been them letting me know they're watching. Uh, I know that when George Bush was the president and they first put up the no-fly list, uh, my name was on the no-fly list. I couldn't fly for years until they took me back really? off the no-fly yeah, the no list. And uh, furthermore, at one point, they blacklisted a whole lot of websites that the military would not be able to look at. And somebody sent me a list and said, hey, go to the uh, government's website with all the blacklisted websites. And I went there, and there was Raiders News Update. So, yeah, um, but, you know, we, you know, as a company and as a person, we're not doing anything that is illegal, right. and we don't intend to do anything that is illegal. And so we really don't have anything to fear. But it is obvious that the government, as well as the IRS and other institutions, they're taking a careful look at groups. And, you know, you want to hope that you don't get swept into some larger uh, you know, dragnet where right. they where they are watching dangerous, you know, skinhead types out there that might be plotting some kind of an attack or mm-hmm. something like that. You have to be real careful. And they are they're watching. Well, even the Tea Party group, right? They're still waiting to get their right. paperwork processed so that they can raise funds for political involvement. So yeah, got to be you know you got to be very straightforward, transparent, and careful right now. There you go. Yeah, definitely. Um, well, moving on from that, you know, you've talked about Beast Tech a little bit in that last interview as well. And, you know, you don't have to get into it a whole lot. But with my research, I'm looking into, um, and again, I'd have to thank you, Tom, for bringing up the conversation about transhumanism and technology. Uh, because, you know, as soon as I was saved and, uh, you know, I discovered the whole alien thing with uh, folks like Elian Marzulli and, and Steve Quayle and, and uh, the whole PID gang and everything else. You know, your name was right there and your books uh, were pretty early on. Apollyon Rising 2012 was one of those books that really helped me mm-hmm. out. But uh, so I'm making a, a second film, a, a sequel to Age of Deceit, and um, it's called Alchemy and the Rise of the Beast Image. And I just wanted to get your take on this because it seems like from my studies, there's a lot of conservatives, uh, conservative commentators like um, F.D. Lindsay and Wearsby. They look at the the image of the beast. I know there's a lot of talk about the the mark of the beast, but they look at the image of the of the beast, and they say that it's akin to the abomination of desolation that Jesus in Matthew 24 talks about, and you know it's mentioned in Daniel. But then in Second Thessalonians, it's pretty clear that the first beast, the the Antichrist figure, is going to declare himself to be God, you know, on this Temple Mount or wherever it may be. And so what I'm trying to figure out, and what I've seemed to come to is this image of the beast that the false prophet is going to breathe life into. I mean, this really sounds to me like the singularity event or the, the, the moment artificial intelligence is achieved in some sense. And, you know, it's ultimately the, to me, it seems like it's the alchemical or occult dream uh, fulfilled, you know, forming life out of non-life. Am I off base here? What, what have you found um, about the image of the beast, if anything? And I know it pertains a lot to the mark of the beast as well. 
Well, man, you just, you know, you <laughs> you just opened a four-hour conversation there with, <laughs> with all those little caveats. But Image of the Beast, I mean, you know, it's been controversial for some time. Um, but imagine that you have um, something that has been found and that it is able to be reanimated. Uh, so it starts out first, if you look at the Greek language there, it implies something that can be looked upon but isn't living. Right. Uh, and then it's animated. Then it comes alive. And I can remember as far back as when I was a young pastor uh, talking about, they thought, television or maybe three-dimensional television or televisions that can watch you and you can watch it, just like most of our TVs and computer systems do now, uh, that the day would come when an image would be put on a television screen, and this would be something that an ancient prophet looking at wouldn't even know what he's looking at, except it's an image that can move and speak. And I, I remember when they used to believe that, you know, the day would come when all of us would have to, uh, let's say, have a regular assembly time, right, where you get in front of your television and you will basically worship this image, and the TV's watching you at the same time and accounting whether or not you were there, and if you're not there, and if you're not accounted for, then you know you have to answer for where you were. That was kind of what people were believing years ago. Now, with uh, biotechnology and advanced sciences, we can easily see how we could reanimate something that's been dead for a very long period of time. And it opens a new idea. Now, now is that the way the Antichrist is going to arrive? Uh, I don't know, but I know that the book of Revelation tells us in Revelation 17 that the world is going to marvel at he who was and is not and yet is. So something that once was and then wasn't at the time that John uh, was received the revelation, the apocalypse from Jesus, uh, and then yet is going to be again in the end times. Now that's that's one part of what you're talking about, the image of the beast. The other part, and, and what we actually are dealing more with in beast tech, is technology, including newer technology, that actually would um, help facilitate the rise of the Antichrist. And, you know, I'm not the only student of eschatology right now that see, finds it increasingly difficult to dismiss how an awful lot of what we are hearing right now feels like movement towards fulfillment of Revelation 13, where it says he causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand and in their forehead, and that no man might buy or sell, save he that had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. And when we were doing beast tech research, one of the things we also did was we contacted Sharon Gilbert, who has degrees in biology, uh, and we, we talked to her about some of these new versions of RFID-like transmitters that are Coming very, very sophisticated, uh, where they're adding what I think are prophetic components, where you're merging human biological matter with transistors uh, and actually creating living implantable machines. Uh, these are machines that can do different things. They not just track you, not just uh, transmit, um, you know, like vital information. A lot of medical research right now is talking about how. If your sugar level in your body, uh, you know, got where it shouldn't be, it'll send you a text and your doctor a text letting you know, you know, that you might want to look at your insulin level and that kind of thing. There's that, uh, but there's, but, uh, you know, read some of the work of Sharon Gilbert and find out uh, how some of these new biochips even have the capacity to rewrite your genetic makeup to introduce into your system basically these what she calls idling trucks. 
that the the possibility that the mark of the beast uh, would actually change you. Uh, and so, anyway, I'm kind of getting off track, but I don't want to get into a big long thing there. But we could talk about that if you want. Yeah, well. certainly. I mean, there's 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 so many things, especially with the technologies coming out, and and of course, you know, I know you've uh, tracked with uh, Ray Kurzweil and his. Uh, whole agenda there with um you know when Google coming out recently saying that they're gonna cure death and things of that nature and um you know uh, reverse engineering the brain and stuff like that now just you as Mr. Tom Horn where do you see the uh, you know because we we talk about technology a lot on this show and we always bring up that conversation of okay when do we know that it's it's bad or when do we know for sure that it's the mark is there is there a point that you know because somebody you know can come and get a pacemaker and you know they're technically they're technically enhanced right to sort of preserve life how do you deal with that sort of landscape of you know this is leading towards something terribly evil or this is just a tool that can help us how do you how do you navigate through that well, and, you know, that question often comes up when I'm doing shows specifically on transhumanism, and people will ask the question, but is all biotech evil? I mean, is everything that's happening in advanced technology and science is evil? And my answer to that is probably most of it is not evil. Probably most of it is good. And never forget that our hospitals and our leading universities into the health sciences were started by Christians, right? Uh, because we felt a responsibility to understand creation as it had been made by God and also to be healers of creation just like Jesus was. So to the extent that we can offer therapy um, to individuals to uh, help, you know, to make their life better, to cure their blindness, to take people who are paraplegic or that are in wheelchairs and perhaps use exoskeleton technology at some point in the very near future to give them the ability uh, to walk or even to cure their illness through the genetic sciences. Um, I think all of that is very, very good. In fact, I'm very excited about the fact that the, the, the next generation, the early generation right now, They'll probably be astonished someday at the stuff guys like me died from. I mean, you know, uh, they, they, I think, will learn through the genetic sciences, for instance, how to turn off cancer cell, uh, how, to, how to figure out what tumors are doing, what cancer is doing, and, and basically create a genetic switch. You know, even when you take an aspirin, you're trying to change something genetically about yourself so that, right. that you don't feel so much pain or whatever. So I... I don't see any evil in that. The, the, I guess the problem for me is when we start crossing over the species barrier and we do things that are an assault against the divine order. Uh, you know, God created every species to create after its own kind. When you start crossing over that barrier, that's when it starts becoming a problem. And there's a great deal of technology right now aimed at crossing over species barriers. We're already doing it with genetically modified crops. We don't know what the result of that is going to be, but a lot of tests that have been done with animals that have been fed genetically modified crops have shown that they, you know, they, they live half-life, they, they develop tumorous cancers, all that kind of stuff. So we don't know what's happening in genetically modified crops, really. And now we're doing it with genetically modified animals, a tremendous amount of the meat product that people are eating right now, chickens and stuff like that, they don't realize that these that they are uh, a variety that is genetically modified. Some of them are not even yet FDA approved, but the pets that people care about, I don't know if you guys have pets, my 
you know, I, my wife and I, we have a, a dog. My son has a dog, that kind of thing, and uh, horses. Uh, but a lot of the feed that they're eating, they're eating from food animals that have actually been genetically modified that are not yet approved by the FDA for human consumption, and we don't yet know how that might be affecting those uh, animals and how it will affect us in the future. And then at the uh, embryonic level, we're also genetically modifying humans. And uh, in the very near future, in fact, the FDA is going to be meeting in October. There's a headline in Raiders News Update today talking about that. They're going to be meeting in October to determine whether they will approve the genetic modification of babies. And this is at the germline wow. genetic level. And if anybody understands, that's a, that is a line that many conservative and even liberal bioethicists have been concerned about for a long time because when you make changes at the germline level, it changes all downline uh, persons or animals that are born from the uh, person or animal that was changed at the germline genetic level. So it is a methodology for permanently altering the future of the human species. Uh, but, and so the FDA is meeting about it now in Britain. They've already approved it for, for certain cases. So there's all kinds of stuff like that that's going on. But to get back to your question about how that might be involved um, with biotech and the, the uh, mark of the beast, it's an important question you ask because a few years ago, my wife Nita brought up a point that now has kind of become the favorite idea of a, of a lot of different uh, writers on this subject. Uh, but she asked me one day on a drive if the mark of the beast could be a conspiracy that might employ specific implantable technology that is only just now available. And her theory in a nutshell was, let's say, an occult elite that is operating behind the U.S. government devises a virus. And uh, it, this virus is a crossover between human and animal diseases, just like the mutated um, bird pandemic threats right now that the CDC and other uh, agencies of the U.S. government are looking at and saying that that's the, that's the greatest possibility for a pandemic that could lead to a new kind of black death, and they're very concerned about this crossover kind of pandemic from a, you know, from a chicken or bird or whatever. So let's right. say, though, that somebody created a mutant kind of disease, uh, a new highly contagious influenza, uh, influenza mutation, and then they intentionally released that uh, into the public. Uh, and then you have just overnight, basically, um, tens of thousands of people dead and dying, the rate of disease increasing hourly around the globe, and this universal cry for a cure goes out. And then, seemingly miraculously, the government steps forward, right, with a vaccine. I'm, I'm going to answer your question with this, because you said, how can you know if it's the difference between therapy and something that might actually be the mark of the beast, how would you ever know that? Because, you know, you wouldn't be responsible if you don't know. Um, right. In her theory, uh, the government now comes forward with this cure, and they tell you that given the nature of the animal-human uh, flu, the cure is using animal DNA and human DNA, so it is a chimeric vaccine, Mm -hmm. And or it also could, at some point in the future, uh, include nanobots that could rewrite your genetics. But in, in any case, it's a smart vaccine, a human-animal chimeric vaccine technology we have right now. Uh, and it is going to, once introduced into your system, it is going to begin rewriting your genetics so that you will be immune to the disease, but you also will no longer be entirely human in the way that God made mankind. And Nita's point was, 
whoever received that antidote would become part beast. Therefore, maybe the title Mark of the Beast and no longer entirely mm. human would mean, according to that outline, that you couldn't be saved, you can't go to heaven. Maybe explaining why the book of Revelation says that whosoever receives the Mark of the Beast is damned. Also maybe explaining why the Nephilim, uh, whose DNA were part human, part angel, and I think part animal, also could not be redeemed. And right. so if a person imagines the, the chaos of that kind of a pandemic, then the concept of how the Antichrist could cause all makes more sense. Um, but in addition to that, it, I think it would require, in that scenario or any other scenario, is gonna, it's going to require that the individual understands that if they take this, whatever it is, microchip, this cure, this vaccine, if they take it, they know they're willingly taking it and that it is going to alter their human genetic makeup so that they won't be entirely uh, human in the purest sense of the word as God made them from that point forward. So I think that somehow, however this comes down the pike, I think somehow the individual has to know that they are making a choice against their humanity, against right. God's creation. Uh, right. There's no way that they're going to just sneak in, in other words, and and uh, and and give it to you, and you're going to take it without knowing what you've done. Right, and at the same time, uh, choosing not to take it is almost guaranteeing death from this virus or influenza that you were speaking about. Well, yeah, um, you would, well, obviously, you, if, you're, if you're infected, um, you're contagious, you're going to have to be quarantined, and ultimately, right. you're, going to, you're going to die, but the, but the beast caused it, because uh, their system or the beast himself is the one that sets this in motion so that if you don't receive the mark, you're, you're dead, you're killed as a result of something they put into motion. But it also could be if you're just, you know, you're contagious and you won't take this thing, it becomes like World War II. You just put into a camp and sent into a furnace. Right. Or beheaded. Right. Yeah, goodness. And those things are, are part of our history, too. And I, I, I know when people start bringing stuff like that up, you know, they tend to say, you know, oh, doom and gloomer or fear monger. But, you know, I mean, just in the last century, we saw stuff like that happen all the time. So it's quite alarming. Now, as far as, you know, since we're on the still talking about technology, what's the uh, the potential issues that rise? You know, let's say that they do create, they start creating, they pass this, uh, you, know, you know, the ability to start changing people genetically and stuff like that. Uh, you know, there's a movie called Gattaca that I'm sure you're familiar with, uh, where there's sort of a, class of humans that are enhanced, you know, from, from birth. And then, you know, the, the main character there is not, uh, what kind of issues do you think can potentially be stuff that we would face, uh, socially if there's basically a, a dual class, you know, a, a clash of, a a class race of humans, you know, like a higher genetically enhanced human race and then the regular people. Do you think that, the, that that's a possibility? And what kind of issues do you think we might face if we run into that sort of uh, situation? All kinds of issues. Uh, eugenics, you know, has been a former dream and is now uh, in a revival. And there are many that are working within the industry, some who are writing uh, grant applications and getting grants from even the U.S. government to begin actually drafting uh, the language that will be used for setting public policy, the law, and how the law will need to be amended, the U.S. Constitution will be amended in order to extend constitutional rights and privileges to those people who will be genetically enhanced in the very near uh, future. For instance, um, the uh, Brookings Institute, that's the number one policy 
think tank in the world, and it is the number one policy think tank in the United States that provides to uh, U.S. lawmakers, Congress, uh, information that helps them mold the laws by which the rest of us have to live, public policy. And right now, if you go to the Brookings Institute and click on a whole new series of articles that they are writing called the Future of the Constitution series, and I think it's articles number 9 and articles number 10, in which they talk about on the very near horizon of genetically engineered communities of people, some who will be more perfected, let's say, than you and I are, but they specifically use as a scenario, they use two gay men uh, who are successful in business and how, uh, according to Brookings Institute, within sight of 10 years, universally, in the, I mean, uh, uh, nationally, uh, gay marriage will be constitutionally protected. So in every state, that'll be a constitutional right. And they, they start out talking about all that, but then they talk about how what, one of these guys is a wills attorney in their scenario, and I forget what the other one does, but they're successful. And they are two men, they're, they're married, but they want to have uh, children. They want to have true genetic offspring. And in addition to that, they want that true genetic offspring to be born predisposed to also being homosexual. Now, get that this is at the Brookings Institute, wow. where the scenarios is being uh, uh, talked about. And they're saying how that within 10 years, the technology will be in place to be able to either synthetically have um, some kind of incubation system, or perhaps even using a woman as just a third-party host, but you'd be able to create an embryo that is the true genetic offspring of these two men, then it might be carried to term inside this woman, and then it's surrendered back to the two men, and it is genetically their offspring, but at that time, they, they said within 10 years, we'll also begin to isolate genes that lead to homosexual behavior, and the, the child will be genetically engineered to have those genes and maybe minus genes that might lead to more, you know, uh, conventional kinds of sexual behavior so that you have dramatically increased the chance that when that child is born, it's going to be born with a homosexual predisposition. So you, you use the term Gattaca. You're talking here at the Brookings Institute about a gay Gattaca, about future communities of individuals <laughs> that are born, engineered truly, to be uh, homosexual. Now, but because uh, of, of the technology that is used to generate these new uh, gay Gattaca individuals, they won't, they won't be human in the purest sense of the word. And the point that the Brookings Institute is making is that is a very near future reality and that we have to start looking now at the Constitution and the Bill of Rights, which has so much language in it that talks about how uh, you know, our rights are derived from our creator. And what they're saying is that we now, as scientists, as a scientific community, are going to create new versions of human that are not human in the sense that was understood when that Bill of Rights and Constitution was written, and therefore we need to amend the Constitution and the Bill of Rights, or at least add additional information that will assure we are going to extend Bill of Rights and constitutional responsibilities and rights to these uh, human non-humans, to humans that have been uh, significantly genetically altered us to no longer be considered human in the original sense of the word. Now, they use that as a, uh, I think that's article number nine. Article number 10 is called, uh, it's something like um, uh, in our creator's image, and then it has a question mark, and it's a follow-up article. And these are being written from the standpoint of legalese, legal arguments 
so that they right. can be used as kind of a template around which we will change the framework of the U.S. Constitution in order to assure that enhanced humans of the near future who are uh, not human in the purest sense of the word will also make sure that, you know, well, they're also talking about humans with animal genetics. Um, right. So, you know, one of the, one of the, um, one of the university professors that I sometimes quote when I'm doing radio shows on transhumanism um, is Nick Bostrom. He's the director of the future of humanity institute. He's a professor right, right. in philosophy. Um, he's a leading advocate of transhumanism. He also does see the danger side of it, too, and he writes about that. He thinks that transhumanism and biotech could be uh, an existential risk. Uh, in other words, that it might actually lead to the extinction of all life on Earth. But he also sees it coming, and he's a believer in certain parts of it. And if you go to his website, nickbostrom.com, and page down to his transhumanist values, which is his thesis that he wrote, in order to earn his prestigious seat there at Oxford University, it's astonishing when you when you look at how he sees other dimensions, other modes. So here's you, you ask the question: What way might it change um, the future? How would it impact us socially uh, and spiritually and otherwise? Um, this is another you know bullet point, if you will, another talking point, and and that it it I think is going to dramatically impact mankind spiritually and in ways that the church isn't even beginning to be ready for. Uh, and that's why I wrote the book, Forbidden Gates, to talk about the fact that something is coming that the church isn't ready for, and it's going to change the paradigm of a lot of our understanding, including spiritual warfare and things like that. But to stay on Nick Bostrom, he believes that by blending ourselves genetically, with animal species that we can open new new modes of perception and uh so uh animals plants synthetic forms of life using recombinant dna technology genetically altering ourselves or transgenically altering ourselves we could open he says these these doorways now that starts getting kind of interesting i don't know uh, if you guys look much into the recent global future 2045 international congress that was oh, held. yeah we're, we're we're all over it we actually did an episode on it last year when they did it in russia and uh quoted a bunch of people talking about you know i mean it just sounds like new age the new age dream and global governance and i mean it, you know uh, uh, science being dethroned and something else coming in to replace it i mean the language is just astonishing but i know that this year it was in new york yeah, it was at the Lincoln Center, and that was only about 90 days ago. It was in June. and uh, But now what's interesting, and anybody listening to this program could do this, if you go to Google and just type in the Global Future 2045 International Congress and find their website, go to the website they were using when they ad were advertising the Congress for people to attend, and at the top of their website, unless they've changed it, they've got a slider that will allow you to punch a button on left or right to go through who the speakers are. Go there and, 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 and marvel at how many of the speakers are religious leaders. Uh, yeah, uh, talking about science and spirituality. There's also a Jewish rabbi uh, that was there. There's a Protestant guy that was there. And what they're talking about is how we not only are going to change ourselves genetically, but as we do so, we're going to change ourselves spiritually. It reminded me of the... Um, uh, what was a white paper that was put out not long ago by the Jasons, which is a really high top level and mostly secret panel of advisors. These are top scientists 
in their field. These are Einsteins, if you will, in their field that provide advisory information to the, uh, the Pentagon, the Department of Defense, things like that in the U.S. Well, they put out a paper. You can Google this. and Well, actually, you can Google, um, what, let's see, what was it called? Oh, I'll have to think of the name of it here in a second. Oh, the, the, $100, G, the $100 genome implications for the DOD. And the paper that you can read online, the PDF, is the summary report. You can't read the full report, but you read the summary report, which was made public. And it's interesting, what you find in there is that what the uh, Jasons are saying to the U.S. Department of Defense and the Pentagon is that they only had to the end of 2012, because that paper was published, I think, in 2011, and they were saying that our uh, intelligence and military strategists only had to the end of 2012 to get ahead in the human modification sciences, or they said they risk falling irreparably behind to who could potentially be our enemies. Now, they don't name who that is, but, I mean, you can imagine they, they've got to be talking about, like, China or Russia, right. or both, or whatever, and they must have some inside knowledge as to the extent that those governments have been developing human uh, modification technologies, the purpose of being what most people commonly call super soldier technology, the purpose of being some kind of situation in where they could dominate us on the battlefield. So uh, I would tell people to go and read that. But what? But the reason I I combined that with the 2045 Global Future Conference and those religious leaders who were over there is you can read between the lines in the $100 genome report to the U.S. Uh, government because they talk about uh, your genotype and your phenotype. And if people know their basic biology, genotype is the blueprint that you get from your parents. Uh, if you're a human, that means the genotype that came from your father and mother that makes you a human. It's the blueprint genetically that you receive that causes you to form into a human embryo and grow up to be a human. But phenotype is how that is expressed. The fact that you are bipedal, that you have the ability of speech, that you walk you know, on two legs, that you have five fingers. And, it's, and it also has to do with your behavior and your temperament. You act like a human, right? And what that report is saying to the uh, human intelligence, I mean the uh, American intelligence communities, is that as we begin altering people in the genotypic level, we're also going to see them changing in the phenotypic level. In other words, they're going to start walking different, acting different. They're going to have different behavior than what is customary to humans. If, if they have enough animal genetic material, they might start having instincts of animals. They might start uh, acting like a wolf. They might get a bloodlust for human blood or whatever, right? right. It's, they're going to change phenotypically as we're changing them at the genotype. So now come back to the Global Futures, go to their website and look at these religious figures, and you can go watch their videos now. And what they're all implying is that, that as we begin down this road of what is now being called the hybrid age, that what we've done to plants and animals and, and, and even babies at the embryonic level, we now intend to do to humans at full maturity, which is going to be being discussed by the FDA in the United States this coming month of October, 
that as we start making these little baby steps and crossing over these dangerous lines, uh, at, like germline genetic modification, humans are going to start changing. And the religious leaders understand that. We're going to start changing. Not just our perception of God, but some of them, some of the mystics believe, maybe we'll open a gateway. And that is what Bostrom believes. Maybe we'll open a gateway. Maybe a better way of actually communicating, coming in direct communication with God himself. And uh, over at the uh, Arizona State University, a couple of years ago, they started the uh, Sophia Project, and they've now since removed it from their website because I was out there talking about it. But if you, if you, if you get the cached copies of their website, you can still see it on their website, the Sophia Project, the purpose of which grew out of lectures that were being presented at the Arizona State University on transhumanism. And some of the students saying, well, as we begin altering ourselves, might we change ourselves spiritually? So they launched the Sophia Project, the purpose of which, according to their own website, was to first confirm and then to try to make contact with, and then they named what they wanted to make contact with. Angels, demons, aliens, uh, a universal mind, God. So, uh, and of course, Sophia, you know, that's the Greek goddess that can help you make contact with the other side. So, uh, the, it, that's, that's part of the, the part of this that is extraordinary is that as we begin introducing animal genetics to human genetics, we might receive perception that's beyond human. Uh, we know that. Some animals can sense earthquakes, they can smell tumors, they can hear sounds above decibels too high for us, they can see into the light spectrum uh, in ways that we cannot uh, see. And if you look at the biblical story of Balaam's donkey, that donkey could see the angel standing in the middle of the road, but, but uh, uh, Balaam could not. Uh, there's even been contemporary secular studies that indicate that animals sometimes might be reacting to something that's beyond normal human perception. Have you ever seen a like a dog standing on your front porch that seems right. to be barking at nothing? Right. right. Yeah. yeah. Or a little timid animal that might run and hide under the bed, and you know, like the hair stands up on the back of your neck. You get this weird feeling, but you don't see or hear anything. But you have the feeling that that animal might be aware of something that you are not. Well, many in the transhumanist community believe that we can bridge this gap between us and if supernaturalism happens to exist, and that we can do that through uh, transhumanism. Now, at a deeper level of conspiracy, is does our military also believe that? Is our military also involved in human genetic manipulation for the purposes of maybe somehow being able to view or contact or interact in some way with um, invisible realities. We know that in the past we have funded large-scale experiments, right, into um, remote viewing and things like that. So I would think if, right. if, there's, if there's any belief among them that that's a possibility, then we're probably already involved in research to try to find out if we can make contact. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I know you've uh, in the past mentioned how, uh, I think you quoted Terrence McKenna, who you know, used all these psychoactive drugs to come in contact with all these entities. And then, you know, once he came down from his high, you know, back to this reality, he basically speculated that in the future, we, you know, we won't have to use any of those psychedelic drugs or anything because we'll have access the brain through technology and directly contact these entities. 
the the whole conversation is fascinating. And of course, back in January, physicists at CERN have talked about how they should be able to, you know, open up dimension and dimensions and look into the these parallel dimensions and realities and stuff like that. So, you know, it seems to be that science and spirituality are really coming head to head. They're sort of converging at sort of an alarming rate. And it's kind of interesting to see how that is unfolding because uh, we, again, you mentioned, and I, and I really, again, we, I personally appreciate, I appreciated that book, Forbidden Gates, a whole lot because I know you had a letter to pastors and things like that. I don't know how how effective that was, but you know, just my my personal experience. I've talked to folks who are in the church that you know they're all they're all for getting microchipped and stuff like that, you know, and so it's it's right. it's an alarming proposition and you know things coming down the pike and. Um, we can talk about this for a very long time, and I know our time is short, so um, we wanted to actually ask you briefly, if we can touch on it, about the Pope and the papacy and everything else, because you wrote about that with Chris Putnam. We've had Chris Putnam on a couple times, and um, we just wanted to get your side of the, uh, or I guess, you know, comments on the latest developments of, um, you know, obviously the Pope stepping down and... Uh, everything else. But uh, Basil, did you have something specific you wanted to ask Tom about? Well, that? I mean, this new Pope is, is unique in a lot of respects. I mean, he's come out and he's talked about, you know, acceptance of gays and even atheists now, if they're good people, can get into heaven and things like that. You know, in light of all that, which seems to be like a, an agreeable thing to say from a secular point of view. But how does that kind of tie into this whole thing? Because, you know, we're, the, as a spiritual leader, he's going to have um, some influence over some, uh, just, you know, a couple of, couple of people here on earth when it comes to get, <laughs> almost giving permission to buy into this transhumanism idea. Yeah, it is very interesting. And, and again, you know, we've probably only got 10 minutes or something left in this show, so I don't know how far we can get into it. But, but in many ways that I think are not yet um, understood by the average person out there right now, this pope is increasingly becoming a fulfillment of the prophecy of the popes. Now, for those that are listening to the show that don't know what the prophecy of the popes is, it is an allegedly 900-year-old prophecy that was ascribed to a Catholic saint by the name of Malachi O'Morgare. He was an Irish saint. And in the 1100s, he gave this prophecy, without going into all the story about his visit to Rome. He gave a prophecy, uh, or at least it is ascribed to him, uh, in which he described every pope that would ever exist from his day to the final one. And uh, so from Celestine II all the way down to the final pope, who he named Petrus Romanus. Uh, you have this list, these Latin phrases. And down through time, some of the popes that have uh, taken their position have looked like fairly astonishing fulfillments of the mottos that he provided that would describe either them or something about their papacy. Now, what if a person's not familiar with that prophecy, what they really need to know is that the last one on the list is the pope, according to the prophecy, that would uh, preside over Rome and over Catholics around the world when the Church goes into the Great Tribulation period, and ultimately Rome will wind up being destroyed. So we're talking about not just a final pope, but a pope who would be uh, you know, on the throne of Peter there in Rome when the Church uh, goes into the final moments that ultimately leads to the Battle of Armageddon and all that. And Pope 
Francis is the 112th Pope. He is the final one uh, that uh, on the list was described as Petrus Romanus. Now, one thing I should quickly say is that most of the scholars that studied the prophecy down through time unanimously, we're talking about Catholic scholars, came to a conclusion that the title Petrus Romanus or Peter the Roman was symbolic uh, and not indicative of a birth name any more than Gloria Olive, which was the title for Pope Benedict, uh, the 111th line of the Prophecy of the Popes, um, any more than Cardinal Redsinger, who became uh, Pope Benedict, was born with the name Gloria Olive. So it doesn't have anything to do with their name of birth. It has to do with something about them. For instance, in Cardinal Redsinger, uh, he, uh, he, before he became Benedict the Sixteenth. Uh, he was uh, born uh, on the feast day of the Benedict, of the founder of the Benedictines, and furthermore, then he named himself uh, after the Benedictine order of which the Olivetans are a branch. And so, when you look at uh, him, uh, Cardinal Radziger taking that specific name, it's almost like he was either pre-prophesied, the meaning that the prophecy was actually inspired. Or he chose a name that would allow himself to be a fulfillment of that prophecy, which is, I'm kind of 60-40. I kind of believe that many of the cardinals and even many of the popes have, have wanted to pay homage, if you will, to the prophecy. They don't want to insult it in case it's real. This You have to understand the way Catholic mysticism works to understand that. But so they are intentionally taking upon themselves names or titles that would be seen as a fulfillment of the prophecy and Benedict may have done that. Um, Back to um, Pope Francis. Um, If you've interviewed Chris Putnam, you know that um, over 60 years ago, a Belgian uh, Jesuit by the name of René Thibault um, predicted when uh, Gloria Olive would step down, paving the way for the arrival of the final Pope Petrus Romanus, and he predicted that it would happen in April of 2012. He did that 61 years in advance. That was part of the reason that Chris Putnam and I, in our book, Petrus Romanus, The Final Pope is Here, said that we believed that Benedict would step down in April of 2012. Now, it was not a prophecy. We just believed that that was very likely because, in my mind, I thought Benedict would want to do that in order to allow the prophecy to be fulfilled. So he's, they're following it like a road map, right? right. And, you have to, and you have to question why would they be doing that. But in any case, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. And Rene Thibault rejected that whoever this 112th Pope would be, he rejected that he would actually be named Peter. He said that uh, he believed there was only one Peter, the first of the Roman, Roman pontiffs. Uh, and that the final one to come would represent all of the Roman pontiffs, pontiffs from St. Peter to the recipient Gloria Olive. That's what he wrote. So he believed that the title was symbolic of the culmination of the entire Petrine office from its beginning to its end, and that was the meaning behind Petrus Romanus. So in his reckoning, it's the ambitions and pretensions of the papal dynasty would be encompassed and then finally culminated in one final person. Well, anyway, Pope Francis has taken uh, that uh, position. Uh, I was on television on Prophecy in the News and other shows two years ago uh, saying that I did not, uh, that the final Pope didn't need to be named Peter. Uh, All he needed to be was of Roman descent. And of course, uh, Pope Francis is, both his mother and his father are pure blood 
Italian or Roman in the old language. But now, having said that, there are some very interesting things that developed immediately following his election that do seem that he too, just like these other popes, has gone out of his way to very subtly make himself understood as a fulfillment of the prophecy. First of all, he names himself after Francis of Assisi. And Francis of Assisi lived in the 1100s and the 1200s. He was a Roman friar, a Catholic friar. His original name was Giovanni, but he changed his name to Francesco di Pietro, or Peter de Bernadone, a man whose name can literally be translated Peter the Roman. So I found it astonishing that Francis takes as his namesake a man whose name could literally be drawn right out of the 112th line of the prophecy of the popes. Secondly, Francis of Assisi was born over uh, only 50 years after the prophecy of the popes was given, and Francis believed, too, that a final pope would arrive, and he prophesied about him, and he said that he would be a deceiver. Uh, he will deceive the world. He'll make the world fall in love with him, but Francis of Assisi said in his heart, really, he is a destroyer. He is not a true prophet. He's going to lead Rome to destruction. Well, that's the very last line of the prophecy of the popes, that Peter the Roman will reign over the church, and then Rome will be destroyed. Um, so here's the, here's the, the point about that. Um, Francis, Pope Francis, is very intelligent. He's a Jesuit. He's got degrees in history. He knows Francis of Assisi very well. He knows his prophecy, and he also knows the prophecy of the popes. Why in the world would he name himself after somebody whose name means Peter the Roman, who also prophesied that the final pope would be a great deceiver that would literally lead the church into destruction? Why do you take that as your namesake, right? <laughs> yeah. It's extraordinary. And then finally, one other thing we're going to have to watch. Um, Francis just named as his new Secretary of State. He booted out Bernadone, Bernadone right. and he just named as his Secretary of State Pietro Paroline. Now, Pietro Paroline's name literally translates Peter the Roman. Now we have two of them, right? <laughs> he names this guy as his Secretary of State. And keep in mind that if the Pope's Carmelingo, his Chamberlain, and the Pope, if the two of them at the same time were somehow taken out of office, imprisoned, killed, murdered, a terrorist attack, whatever, the Secretary of State would, could step in as the either temporary or permanent Pope in Rome, and you would have a guy as the Pope in Rome whose name means Peter the Roman. Now, I bring that up to say many Catholic prophecies uh, that foresaw the future they saw a time coming that would bring the church into the tribulation period, and at that time, they said, something is going to happen to the pope who is supposed to be in office. They even speculated. They said, maybe he'll be imprisoned, maybe he'll be killed, but somehow the legitimate pope is going to be removed from office, and then this antipope, this other person, is going to come to rule. So now, by Francis putting Pietro Paroline uh, in office, an Italian whose name can be translated Peter the Roman, now we're just going to have to watch and see, because Francis himself can be seen as the strong fulfillment of the prophecy, but then on the other hand, you can imagine a scenario in which he's taken out of that office, and suddenly the new Secretary of State steps in, a guy whose name literally means Peter the Roman. So we're living just in astonishing times right now, uh, and I would just say keep an eye open, and don't forget, I know i got to go here in just a minute, and don't forget that the famous Catholic priest Malachi Martin, 
He wrote extensively of a secret plan by the Illuminati, the Freemasons, and false Catholic infiltrators that he said would use Rome to bring about a new world order. And just look at the titles of his books. In one, he talks about how there was um, a war, it's called the Jesuits, that there was a secret war, he said, going on between the Jesuits and the other priests, and no Pope has ever been a Jesuit until this one. Now, all of a sudden, it looks like what, what Malachi Martin wrote about and what he feared has come to pass in that you have a Jesuit who has now taken position uh, uh, on the throne there in Rome. Uh, so much more uh, to say about that. He wrote a book called The Final Conclave, that there would be one final one. And, and Malachi believed that in the enthronement of Lucifer that he wrote about, he said it happened in the 60s at the Vatican, there was an enthronement of the, of the, arch, of the fallen archangel Lucifer. The, but the purpose of those, those uh, uh, rituals, horrible rituals, he said, that took place there and also here in the United States, the purpose of it was to instill within a future priest the incipient spirit that would be what? either the Antichrist or the false prophet, and that would lead the church into the tribulation period. So so many of these writers. Now, uh, look at all the other prophecies, whether it is the Maya, the Cherokee, the Hindu, the Zohar 700 years ago, saying that the their Messiah, which isn't Jesus, therefore the Antichrist, would arrive in 2013. The prophecy of the popes, a 900-year-old prophecy, just now come to an end. The Protestant reformers from 150 to 200 years ago saying the Antichrist would appear between 2012 and 2016. And look at what's going on around the world. Uh, Isaiah 17, Syria, the burden of Damascus. It appears to me that we are seeing a concatenation of events that are rolling like a snowball, uh, you know, headed for hell, as the old song says. Uh, uh, events transpiring all around the world right now. Uh, that does make it seem as though we have entered into a very curious period of time, and it's very important for the listeners to this show to know whose side they're on, to know that they are in Christ, and if they're not, get there as fast as you can by accepting Him as your Savior, because events around the world, well, I think we're there. I think we, uh, I think we have reached the final age of mankind, and whatever we're going to do, like you guys do in the show, whatever we're going to do, we better do it quickly. Right. Absolutely. Amen. Well, Tom Horn, this has just been a fantastic talk with you. I know you we're just about to last minute and 15 seconds here. Uh, we were going to uh, ask you about the, um, the Mount Graham Lucifer Telescope with the, with, uh, you know, we, we've, a little bird told us that, um, you are in contact with somebody with some very uh, suspicious videos of that, but uh, we know we got to let you go. So we just want to thank you so much for coming on the show. And why don't you tell everybody where uh, they can uh, find your stuff and get a hold of you and stuff like that. Yeah, the best the best place to just keep you know uh, on top of what we are doing uh, is to visit RaidersNewsUpdate.com. It's Raiders just like the football team, R-A-I-D-E-R-S, RaidersNewsUpdate.com, which is updated almost every day uh, of the week. And then, of course, we have the store over there, SurvivorMall.com, where a bunch of these books and stuff are available, and they can go over there and click on, the, I think it says Prophecy Books or something like that, and they can find out about a bunch more of the material. Very quickly, you mentioned 
Mount Graham. We'll be talking about that more soon. The world mostly is not aware that Jose Funes, who is the head of the Vatican Observatory Research Group, recently was interviewed by the Catholic press, and he said that Francis right now, who's a Jesuit, uh, France, and there's a connection, a historical connection between the two of them we don't have time to talk about, but he says that Francis is in his honeymoon period right now. He's talking about all the stuff that makes people happy, but he said pretty soon he's going to turn his attention to astrobiology. And don't mm. forget that that is what Chris Putnam and I, in the second related book from Petrus Romanus, the second book is called Exo Vaticana, and it has to do with their uh, belief that we are soon to be visited by an extraterrestrial intelligence uh, a lot of spooky stuff going on over there, but now we heard it from the head of the board himself that Francis will soon turn his attention in a way that we predicted he would. Wow. Amazing. Well, there you have it, everybody. Tom Horn, uh, once again, thanks so much for coming on the show. This was excellent. All right. Bless you guys. Have a great day. All right. Thank you. So that was our interview with Dr. Thomas Horn, or Tom Horn for short. Um, what'd you think, Guns? Uh, it was good. I wish we had more time, but hopefully he'll yeah. be back soon and yeah. we can get into some more stuff because, uh, you know, we tried to rush there at the end and try to get into all sorts of stuff, but we, we ran out of time and uh, Tom had to go, go on a busy six, guy. He six had to go week. save the world. Yeah, I totally absolutely. understand. I totally don't blame him, but there you go. That's what we had him. We'll try to get him on again as soon as possible because, um, you know, he's, he's a, He's quite the man. I, I remember um, Gans reading Apollon Rising, 2012, and that I think I still have your copy of that laying around my uh, house here. So I'll just hold on to that for you. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, as long as you still have that copy, you know. Yeah, yeah. All right, Canaries, you may remember earlier in the episode, Gans mentioned a movie, Gattaca. Um, Tom Horn went on to uh, call it Gay Gattaca, or as I like to call it, Gattaca. Gattaca. <laughs> Um, here's a question for everybody if you could pick a movie that would best express the uh, apocalyptic dystopian future of the world which would it be Um, I mean or maybe it's a I don't know maybe it's utopian it depends on if you're an optimist right Um, well I mean you got you got all sorts of options you know you got the book of Eli you got like you know, yeah. like Mad Max, you got like Zombie Land, right. or, you know, um, I mean, there's tons. The Terminator, uh, there's, I mean, there's countless, yeah. countless So con- considering what we've heard here with all the transhumanism technology stuff, or just with your, uh, you know, your, your own personal beliefs, whether whichever way you think the world is going to come to its bitter end here, um, what do you think? <laughs> You make it sound so exciting. Yeah, you know. Uh, well, what do you what do you think? Are you sticking with Gattaca? What do you think? I, I'll stick with Gattaca. Although, you know, I actually I think uh, you know, Planet of the Apes is actually a very, <laughs> very close second to uh, where things. You are know going. what? With all the chimeric stuff, it could be Planet of the Apes. I know they they could be messing with the uh, the germline of the human race here, and maybe add some ape strength. Or some, you know, I don't know, basically just their strength. I can't think of anything else that they have that we would want. Um, and, there, was uh, a, there was a movie too recently, right? Like the beginning of the, the Planet of the Apes or something like right. that. Where yeah, basically, yeah. that's the whole story. It was like they were, you know, genetically messing with apes no. to make them stronger or something like that. Oh, no, yeah, that was more like they were messing with the apes to make them smarter. Oh, right, okay. With the humans to make us stronger. Although it could go either way. 
Oh yeah, yeah. So there you go. So that that there you go. <laughs> that's your, that's yours, Planet of the Apes. Well, I mean, if if I can't pick Gattaca, I will go with. I don't know. Yeah, sure, Planet of the Apes. <laughs> okay, and we were. I don't we, know. That's we, a good one. I mean, we we were the I, apes. We are the apes. <laughs> I think. I think, considering the circumstances, that's a totally viable option. Sure. Yeah. All right. What's I yours? think mine. Mine is a. Uh, is uh you know I, I this might just be wishful thinking for me from my childhood but um I'm gonna have to go with Waterworld 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 <laughs> Kevin Costner you know, yeah with Kevin Costner with the mutant fish people um <laughs> you know with his webs and his gills you know who knows I and, think I fell asleep and, watching that movie in the theater oh no that happens all the time I don't think I've ever watched that movie with somebody else and not have them fall asleep. <laughs> But I don't know why I I loved that movie when I was younger. Um, you oh, know. you impressionable young child! I know I it's just okay. like boats and water and stuff. But it's anyways, okay. I, I was the same way with uh, Stargate the movie. Yeah, I was like, oh, go through large watery portal and go to ancient Egypt or something. It's a dream come true. It's not ancient Egypt. It's like supposed to be some other planet. But still, yeah. you know, whatever. So there you have it, folks. Let us know what your uh, futuristic um, destination for the world may be in movie form. Yeah. Uh, or or yeah, Star so. Trek, you know? Yeah. Or Star Trek. You know, you, you, it could be worse. It could be worse than Star Trek. That actually sounds like, I don't know if that really counts as an apocalyptic. That's true. Account, though. That's true, yeah. So yeah. let's let's keep this to end of the world scenarios. True. Let's do that. Right, I only is... mentioned Star Trek because I've been watching the series and you know. Right. Yeah. Okay. So no Star Trek, no Star Wars. So there you go. Leave it in the forum. Go to the comments section. Leave a leave us a voicemail. Um, let us know what you think. And maybe you know, give a slight make some connections. Tell us maybe how that would go about happening in today's world. Yeah. And other than that, um, I think that's about it. Yep. Sounds okay. good. Well, just so everybody knows, the views and opinions expressed by the authors and guests on this program are not necessarily those held by the hosts or the Canary Cry Radio community. Make sure to visit canarycryradio.com for show notes, episode archives, forums, and more. You can contact us, that's Basil and Gons, by clicking on the contact tab or emailing us directly at canarycryradio at gmail.com. Please leave us a voice message by clicking the tab on the right side of canarycryradio.com. Make sure to let us know if it's okay to play your message on the air. And make sure to rate us and write a review on iTunes. Give us a thumbs up yeah. on Stitcher and everything else. because Five uh, stars. Yeah, it's going to help us a lot in getting our podcast discovered on iTunes. Yeah, it's all about letting other people know. Absolutely. Letting other people know why to listen. Let's spread the message. Let's wake up the world here. If this episode of Canary Cry Radio touched your life or your worldview or your beating little heart in any way, please consider supporting the show financially. You can do so by visiting canarycryradio.com, clicking on the support tab. There you can sign up for a small monthly donation, or if commitment's not your thing, you can just leave a one-time donation in any amount. Canary Cry Radio is and will always be free, so your support is what keeps us on the air. Absolutely. Thank you very much. And for those of you who have recently given and donations thank you so much you uh you're keeping the lights on over here absolutely make sure to catch the next episode of canary cry radio and until then think outside the cage <laughs>